Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Have a great day. Bob, I'm an alcoholic. Oh, what a great topic. Three legacies. Um, I'm going to try to share as honestly as I can my experience in the fellowship with the three legacies personally in my personal life and also in my home group. Uh, I the one, the, the one legacy that I seemed to short for a long time was unity because the backbone of unity is the spiritual, the application of the spiritual principles of the 12 traditions. And I don't know about anybody else, but when I first got sober, I looked at those and that was for some kind of fanatical branch of AA or something. I mean, uh, I didn't want anything to do with them. I would, I, my, one of the groups I went to regularly was a 12 steps and 12 traditions study group. And if they were on the 12 traditions, I would sneak out the back and go to another meeting across town. Because uh, that was, because, you know, I'm self-centered. It had nothing to do with me. Me. I want to, I want to talk about me. I want to do something that was with me. And uh, so I didn't really pay much attention to it. And I don't think that they became important to me until I fell in love with Alcoholics Anonymous. And that didn't happen for a while. I was so narcissistically self-involved for so long that when you're narcissistically self-involved, you know, you're, you're already obsessively in love with yourself, so it's, it takes a while for that to shift. But I, I started sponsoring people, and it changed my world. And I started to fall in love with Alcoholics Anonymous. And as I did that, the history and the traditions and eventually the concepts uh, became important to me. I, I was... Uh, my second term as DCM, and I was tasked by my service sponsor, who was a delegate to become trustee, to do a weekly concept service manual study group, which is a crowd pleaser. <laughs> oh, I'd see these. Everybody that would end up there looked like whoop dogs. You know, just they didn't have, they didn't want to be there. Because yeah, because some of them I sponsored, and some of them it's new GSRs trying to do what their service sponsors told them. But I learned a lot about Alcoholics Anonymous, and uh, it's it served me in good stead for a long time. I don't regret my eight or nine nine, nine years in general service. Uh, it made it made me a better AA member, even though uh, honestly there were times it was very tedious. Uh, and not gratifying like the other two uh, legacies. Uh, you know, not like 12-step work or not like the steps, uh, but very important. And so uh, what I found myself in a... You know, I, I went through a period of, of a lot of years where my focus was so much on the steps that I had, I sort of became... So almost, not consciously, but almost blind to the other two legacies. I, I, what had happened, you know, some of you that have been around a long time, you'll remember this. There was a time in Alcoholics Anonymous 
where the, the fellowship uh, in most areas was very disconnected from the steps as they're outlined in the big book. I, I remember uh, in the mid early 70s, there's a guy going in and out of AA. If you wanted to work the steps, they sent you to a 12-step and 12-tradition study group. It was like it was like standard operating procedure in most communities in Alcoholics Anonymous for a long time. And when I first got sober in, uh, in 78, that was the case then. Matter of fact, my sponsor, who was a just a tremendous example of Alcoholics Anonymous, he had the spirit of it, but he didn't, ha- he didn't intellectually have the mechanics. He couldn't even tell you where to find the directions for the fourth step in the big book. Um, but it didn't make him a bad AA member. He was a spectacular AA member because he was in his feet, in his, in his actions. And, um, so there wasn't much of a consciousness about it. And then about 1980, I'd, I'd heard by this time of being in, involved in a couple conferences, I'd heard Wesley Parrish, I'd heard Franklin Williams, I'd heard uh, a set of stuff from Joe and Charlie, the first Joe McQueenie, who McQueenie blew my mind. Don Pritz and all these people talking about the steps in the big book as if it was new information. And it was to me. Uh, and I just became obsessively focused with that for a long time. And I'm still into it. It did started doing weekends and, and a step workshop that's been going on now for, God, must be 30 years in Las Vegas every Tuesday night. Uh, and I really became uh, involved with it. But something uh, started happening to me, and I was really, I had two of the legacies pretty strong. I did a lot of 12 step work, a lot of service. I said yes to Alcoholics Anonymous. Now I'm getting into the recovery legacy of the steps in the book. Um, but I found myself at times feeling disconnected from the fellowship. Uh, and what happens when, when you're, when you like I am, I became with the steps in the big book like a born-again Christian gets with the Bible when they first become a born-again Christian. They're hard to be around. You know what I mean? I'm that guy. Right. I, I'm the guy with information that I, I'm trying to, I'm lording over people in AA. that don't, I, I remember just hideous stuff I would do just because my ego was so, because I had so much fear because I was talking about stuff that was a little controversial. People weren't, weren't warming up to it. And my delivery was very self-righteous, which is an alienates people almost instantaneously. And I remember being at a meeting, and, and it, was on the, it was on the fourth step. And I didn't get called on. So during the meeting, I've shared 300 times in my head, right? I've shared the real truth, right? And there was... <laughs> The chairman of the meeting, it, just, it was like he consciously avoided me. Now, looking back and looking at it through his eyes, well, he doesn't want to call, don't, I don't want to call on that guy. He'll start preaching the big, you know. So after the meeting, I, I cut into him. You know, how come, I, didn't you see, I wanted to talk. How come you didn't call? He said, wow, well, we're calling on other people. I said, yeah, that was a terrible meeting. You don't even, I said, I bet you you've never even worked the fourth step. He said, yes, I have. Oh, yeah? What's it say on the bottom of page 66? Well, you know, he didn't come here for a quiz, right? And I am taking little bits and pieces of AA that I've learned, and I'm using it to grandize myself. And what's happening is I'm using the recovery legacy to undermine my very unity here and my service. Because without unity, I'm not very useful here. 
And I didn't even know I was doing that. I didn't even know that my ego had gotten behind all that. And, uh, in the, and there is a solution Wilson talks about uh, how, we, how we stay, how we get and stay connected here. And he talks about two elements. Actually, it's really talking about three things. But he, he, first he talks about our common suffering. And how this uh, is, he says it's one element in the, in the thing that binds us. And it really is. Matter of fact, when you're new, it's the element. I mean, when you're new, all of a sudden, if you're starting to listen, you're hearing people talking about stuff that's you. It's like amazing. It's like, oh my God, you, you become one of those the dogs in the back of a car and the meat just nodding your head like this. You know, just, right, I became that guy. Just, oh man, that's me, that's me. Amazing stuff. But I'll tell you, if you're like me, in time, the shine of, of the common problem starts to wear off. It's not enough. And, and Wilson refers to that. He says that in and of itself would never have kept, our common suffering would never have kept us together as we are now bound. And then he talks about the other element. He said we, we share in a common solution. Which And then he talks, this is where the unity comes in. He says, which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. See, you can have the common problem and you can have the common solution, but you have to have the connection. And I, I, know, I know men and women who, are, who, who sit apart from Alcoholics Anonymous with tremendous information about AA. And yet they're not a part of here. And I, I was sober a, a long time before I understood that the deficiency in my life was not service. I was doing a lot of service. I've always done a lot of service. I've always, general service intergroup. I've always had two hospital and institution meetings a week. Uh, that sounds extreme to some of you. If it does, then you're not as self-centered as I am because I need every bit of that. I mean, I, uh, I'm, I'm the guy, I'm like Wilson. I have to do that just to keep from just imploding in my own wonderfulness. Uh, uh, so, uh, but I started, I started feeling weird, like I was stuck. And I, I started, you know, what's the deal? You know, I'm deal, I, I have resentments, and I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with those, and I'm making amends and everything, but I still, I'm still separate a lot of times here. You know, I go to meetings and I, I just I have a meeting in my head while the regular meeting's going on. I'm I'm like I'm not quite connected here, and I and I started thinking that about the twelve traditions as a way of life, personal application. And one of the things I realized at that point in my sobriety, the problem was exactly what they're talking about in tradition number one, was a lack of unity. You know, when it says in there that our, my personal recovery depends upon a unity, I can have all the knowledge of the steps, I can have all the service commitments, I can have all of that, but I have to be one with you. I have to be, as, as one of the doctors says in the medical view of alcoholism, I have the, the herd instinct. I have to be one of here. And I wasn't. And I wasn't. And my personal recovery really and truly depends upon being, me being connected and one with you. So if, if you get that, 
then there is, there's nothing you'll ever be so right about that's more important than you being connected here. There's nothing that you, there's no bit of information. There's nothing you should, there's no resentment. There's the, the guy slept with your wife. Yeah, okay. There's nothing will separate me from the herd here. I can't let it. It'll kill me. It will kill me. And so my personal recovery depends upon a unity. And, and I think the spiritual significance of this is huge. Because I don't know about you guys, but I drank for unity. I didn't know it, but I drank to get connected. I drank because alcoholism sober, for me, is a very lonely, lonely business. I live in what Wilson calls anxious apartness. I've had that all my life. That feeling like it's all of you and then there's me. And I drank because it set me free and connected me. And we, most alcoholics of my type have had that experience of walking into a party or a bar. You're just so locked up and apart from. And four or five drinks, man, and you're just, oh my God, you're, you're just so connected. You know, 10, 12 drinks, I'm saying things to people I didn't like two hours before. Like, I'll die for you, man. You know, I mean, wow. I mean, that is like amazing. And so I drank for unity, and I have to find that here. Uh, Wilson says that, uh, that God will show you how to create the fellowship you crave. And, and part of that is facilitated by service and sponsored people. But I think that in and of itself is not enough. Um, this is a piece of business in my life. And the problem with, with the, what, what separates me from you is, is ego. And, and so AA is perfect for an egomaniac. It's perfect for me. You know, the, well, Wilson says something funny. He says that we are extreme examples of self-will run right, though we usually don't think so. This is perfect. Because it's the only organization on the planet where you come in a big shot and you'll work your way up to servant. There's no big... It, we work our way through through what we're doing here uh, and the ultimate authority here is it's eventually eventually to have any peace here requires submission submission to the will and the way and the want of something I don't even believe in when I get here but over the years I started to come to believe and in time I started to even know and trust and even have conscious experiences with God and then discover something that has really become the foundation of my life is the knowledge deep down within me. This is not an intellectual stuff. I get this, that God's idea of Bob is better than any Bob's idea of Bob you'd ever had. And with that comes an easier, and the, and the more I know that, the easier the submission becomes. And so God truly becomes my personal ultimate authority here. Now, he talks to me through you. He talks to me through my sponsor. Uh, I, I tell you, I've had experiences with my sponsor where he's, he's channeled God. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, where he, and I asked him later, do you, ever tell, do you ever give anybody else that direction? He said, no, I never did. I said, where did it come from? He said, I don't know. And I get that because I've had those experiences with people I sponsor where I, I want to help them. I just got nothing. I got nothing. And then it's like this portal opens up and just words start coming out of my mouth and they're perfect and I think that that is my ultimate authority and boy 
It gets to work through you. Nice stuff. Nice stuff. I, I'm, a, I'm active in Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm an everyday member. And I'm an everyday member not because I have a desire to, to stop drinking. Truth be told, I, if you asked me, I'd say, oh, yeah, sure. But the truth is, I don't think about it. I, it's not even a piece. Drinking isn't even, it, it, it's not even a piece of business in my life. Now, that sounds weird. And you say that, people come up to you and go, oh, then you're going to get drunk. You know, you're I came into Alcoholics Anonymous after six or seven, after seven years of relapsing where every day of my life not drinking was a piece of business. And I failed and I failed. I was fighting in the wrong arena. And I, I remember one of the earlier speakers at our intergroup uh, monthly meeting said something that was so true and so funny and so right. He said, I quit drinking over 50 times. He said, every time I, got dr- I quit drinking, I got drunker now. He said, that quitting drinking was killing me. And that's the truth. In, uh, in 1978, I, I didn't start fighting the bottle. You started having me take actions that were designed to fight the alcoholism. And you got me in the right arena. I was losing in the fight in the bottle. And so I'm an everyday member because of the, the membership requirement in the long form where it says a membership should include all who suffer from alcoholism. That's why I come to AA. Because if, I don't go, if I'm not active in the fellowship, in the steps, and in service in AA, if I'm not doing this whole package, I start to suffer from alcoholism. I don't know it at first. Because when I start to get sick, I don't think I'm sick. I just really think you are. <laughs> and I should straighten you out. And, uh, so I heard Clancy say this one time. It was so funny. He says, I don't really need AA. I, I come to AA to help you because you're better when I come. <laughs> I think that's, that's silly, but there's a little, it's a weird perception, but it kind of seems that way. The more AA I do, the better you look, and the better I get along out in the world. And the, so, I have an ultimate authority. I have a, a need to be connected here, and I have a, a primary purpose and a way to be a member, and that is through the actions here. And um, you guys have taught me little simple things like the, the value of being self-supporting through my own contributions. I remember I, at the end of my first year of sobriety, I got fired but kind of laid off. So I was actually eligible for unemployment insurance, and I checked, and it was going to be $120 a week take-home. Now, in 1979, that was not bad. You could live on that in 1979. It wasn't a lot of money, but you could live on it. And people in AA made me turn down the $120 a week and take a job that netted after taxes $96 a week. I thought, these guys are stupid. They don't even understand mathematics. I mean, you know, $120, $96. The $96, I've got to work 40 hours a week for. The other, I don't have to do nothing for the other. But they knew something. They knew that I'd been, like a lot of us, I'd been a taker and a user all my life. And that I, I must, I must make my own way here. That my integrity 
and my sense of myself are affected by that. That I had been a taker and a user of people. I, I lived off my parents. I lived off girlfriends. I lived off running part. I lived off. I lived off a lot of stuff. But it was important for me to stand up here. And and, and I. Uh, so I took the job for ninety six dollars, uh, at a year sober, and little did I know that uh, years later that I would own that company and have grown it into a whole chain of retail stores and I would sell it and retire very young. I didn't know that. I didn't know that I, by making amends to my boss that I would put myself in a position where he'd want to give me the company later because he could trust me. Not He, wouldn't trust, he didn't trust. I said to him, I'm the guy who stole from you. And he said, yeah, I know. I said, how come you trusted me with your whole company? He said, well, I knew you could steal. I just knew you couldn't live with it. You'd have to go make it right eventually. Oh, all right. Okay. I get that. Um, I was... Uh, I went through a bad spot in my 19th year of sobriety. Uh, by the time I was 19 years sober, I... One of the, one of the, I tell you, if you're new... AA has good news and bad news. The good news is your wife, your life gets very successful here. The bad news is your life gets very successful here. And as I started to get seduced by the abundance that I was reaping in my own life, in my 19th year of sobriety, I probably will n never again have a, a, a year that was that uh, material, as far as on the material plane. The money I made that year... I mean, it was un, it was it was decadent. It was, it was kind of embarrassing, really. And in the midst of all that abundance, I sunk into a deep, deep depression, and I had no idea why. And it was a and it was a scary depression, the kind that I could that I could feel it moving me towards some need for relief. And it was scary, and I didn't know why because it, it wasn't. There's nothing wrong. Everything is overwrite. Except me. And uh, a guy in AA, because I went to meetings, and because I sponsored guys, and because I had service commitments, I, I kept tethered here. And you got to keep tethered here so God can talk to the people to give you what you need when you're ready to jump off the edge. And because I was tethered here, I got to hear God talk through a guy. The guy said to me something. He said, he said well, he said, yeah, I know you're depressed. He said, you know, you go to a lot of meetings, sponsor a bunch of guys, run your mouth a lot in AA. He said, but I don't think your primary purpose is helping other drunks. He says, I think your primary purpose is you. They say the truth will set you free. I'm telling you, it'll ruin your day first. It was a, not a good thing to hear because it was true. And I don't, it, here's the frightening part. I didn't even know that that had happened to me. It slowly, incrementally I became the center of my universe and my toys and my fancy cars and my salary and my and my and my and my. And I was in the middle of a really, really good life. I'm dying. And I don't know why. Because if the spiritual malady is, if you start getting sick in here, you'd think that the abundance would make it better. I'll tell you what my experience is. It makes the vacancy and all the icky, squirmy stuff inside of me just stand out in sharper and more painful relief. 
because I got everything I want. What the hell's wrong with me? Right? And that guy told me that. It snapped me, and it within a just before the week was out, I had my car full of new guys, and I'm I've been connected, and I've I've never gotten back. I I, I keep drifting a little bit in that direction, but I've never got back to to that again. Because I've, I've tried to take the actions of someone whose primary purpose is their primary purpose. It's easy to talk about that stuff. If you were to come to Las Vegas, I would hope, and you followed me around for a week, I hope that it, if I may look like a nutcase, I may look like a pain in the butt, but I would hope that I look like someone whose primary purpose is helping other people and not himself. I would hope that my actions would demonstrate that. And I think on, on a good spiritual hair day, they do. Um, and I, I try to keep that is my I keep try to keep the the main deal the main deal here. And uh, I'll just talk a little bit and then I'll quit. I got a, a little less than a minute. I was sober over twenty years before I understood the the spiritual significance of the twelfth tradition. It talks about principles before personalities. Now here, honest to God, this is what I thought for 20 years. I thought the principles, which must be tolerance and love and acceptance and, you know, all that stuff, that I needed to put those principles before your difficult, tedious, selfish, hard-to-get-along-with personalities. Because, you know, I... Because I notice, you know, I gotta know. I notice easily. I notice what's wrong with people. It's it's a gift, I guess. I don't know. I just I can just sit in a meeting and just know what's wrong with everybody. It's a gift, and and so I need. I thought that I had to put these principles before your personalities. And the truth is that there's only one personality I have to put them before. I have to. It's in this action of self-forgetting to push myself aside and lead with the principles, because I am the seat of all my conflict, all my judgment, all my separation. It's always me. And I have to put the principles of Alcoholics Anonymous before my personality because my personality is the only personality on the planet that wants me out of here. And you know how it starts, doesn't it? You walk into your home group, you are so connected, and the noticer comes on. Four cups of coffee. No money in the basket, huh? You didn't hear the cell phone announcement, did you? Oh, my God. Stop parading that new set around. Sit in the meeting. Sit with everybody else for God's sakes. Oh, don't call on him. He's so phony. Oh, Jesus and what has happened is the ego is returned and it is separating me from you and left unchecked I believe that I will become so disunified here I can literally judge myself out of alcoholics Anonymous one person at a time so I need to be here this is my this is where God talks to me I can't hear it alone thanks for listening Thank you, Bob. I'm trying to get this reset here. Um, Sharon, an alcoholic. And um, 
I love these workshops because I learn a lot. And that's um, one of the points of uh, my thinking about the legacies is to stay teachable. And um, I'm in a home group. I came August 20th, 1975, looking. I got up one day, and my mother wasn't going to help me anymore. And I'm, as my sponsor said, there's no friendly direction for me to go. And I end up in Alcoholics Anonymous. I wake up a drinker. I end up a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. I've been here ever since. So I, I'm in love with Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, the longer I'm here, the more I love this program, the more it doesn't make sense to anybody who would look at politics or organizations of businesses or, uh, you know, hierarchies or any of that. You know, we don't, we don't have that here. We have, um, this, three-sided triangle, which is like the three-legged stool, and one of them gets cut off or out of whack, you know, you're not sitting very straight. You're not, you're not, uh, you know, you're not standing up being counted as a positive member of Alcoholics Anonymous willing to pass this along so that if, it doesn't seem like my son needs it, but if his kids would need it or my nephews need it, that they would find one alcoholic talking to another alcoholic here, and that's what we have to guard because I don't understand the world. <laughs> I'm one of those very sensitive alcoholics from a very early age on. You know, I mean, I grew up in Iowa. Thank God it wasn't on a farm or I wouldn't have been able to eat anything that was meat. Um, but it was across the street and across the river from many farms, and and uh, it was like, oh, you know, what happened to their pigs? Where are they gone? You know, and we'd have bacon, you know. And, um, I mean, I, I just didn't want to know. And um, I can't, like, cruise, you know, all of those cables sometimes because I'll, I'll pop on some sort of a Animal Planet thing or National Geographic where, you know, they're not editing. <laughs> they're showing nature as it is. And, you know, and, and the... The, the she-cat takes the gazelle out of the herd and then raises it because she lost her cub and they're following this one she-cat around, this mother lying around because she keeps doing this. She keeps taking the gazelles out of the herd and taking them down to the watering hole, not thinking she wants a little water. Here's my little baby gazelle. She thinks it's her baby, but the big lion goes, thanks for lunch, you know, and and then she does it again. You know, it's like, why am I watching this, you know? <laughs> Now I can't sleep. I'm worried about the baby gazelles in Africa. Um, I'm extremely sensitive, extremely sensitive. And, and I come to Alcoholics Anonymous, and um, somebody hooks me. Um, I drank because I couldn't understand the world. I, I drank, and I... Um, I mean, I got so I, I got sober in the in mid 70s, and in the 60s we were doing a lot of protesting. Um, not because I was really behind any of it, I was some of it, but it was a lot of fun and crazy, and I liked the tear gassing and the brick throwing, and you know, I mean, let's have some more tequila, and where's my Harley and my one finger peace sign? You know, I wasn't really um, so. But yet it was my way of saying, I don't understand the world and screw all of you. And the bottle made me not care. But I cared deeply. I cared deeply about the world. I come to Alcoholics Anonymous and I'm hooked by one person. 
by that one person who said he always waited for the spaceship to land and say, you can come home now, Bill, at my very first meeting. Ah, spaceship people. That's what I thought I found. I didn't know I was at AA. I thought I was with my spaceship people. But he was put there to hook me. And I believe in this world I don't understand, we've been given an amazing gift. We get to share our experience, strength, and hope to save a life. Very powerful. I, don't, I can't help what's on the news. I can't figure all this out. I can't, you know, I can't go into that whole arena of how crazy things are and how could I help. And yeah, I give to certain organizations and I do what I can. But I can say, I can change the world by saving a life because we've been given a gift. We've been saved to save a life. One alcoholic talking to another alcoholic core. We can only do it where my boss can't do it. My mother can't do it. But we can. And it's a very powerful, power, it saves lives. And I want to I help be part of those that are sitting in the middle of this, keeping my link shiny because i got to worry about my link. That's part of my job of unity. That's part of my job of recovery. That's part of my job of services to keep my link shiny. And that's I have to stay teachable. I have to stay in the middle of this thing. And I have to guard Alcoholics Anonymous, one alcoholic talking to another alcoholic, because that's what, that's what was missing in all of the years of alcoholics trying to get sober. They did all kinds of things, the same kind of things we do, we do in Alcoholics Anonymous, but they didn't protect the one alcoholic talking to another alcoholic. And that's what I feel very, very strongly about. So how does this work out in my life? How does this work out in recovery, unity, and service? Um, well, my, my, first, um, my first higher power was in the group. I mean, the, my first higher power was the group. I, I, me and God were gone. So that the group and the uh, fellowship that was in the group, that became my sponsor, became louder than my head. So she was a higher power of some sort of sort. Um, I wasn't ready to go find my own higher power God yet. It was just Janet. Janet I could deal with. It was safe for me. I was, I was beautifully beaten teachable by alcohol. <laughs> so I got to learn everything like I was in kindergarten. And I'm so grateful that my mouth was wired shut and I couldn't like, you know, try to argue with you. So I had this broken jaw, which was great being in AA in the beginning because I couldn't argue with you. I couldn't talk to you. I just had to go, mm-hmm. I had to listen. I had to listen. And in my group, they really care about newcomers. And I hope they care about newcomers in your group. Um, so I was treated um, like I was the most important person in the room, even though I didn't understand it and I didn't know why they were being so nice to me and what do they want and where are they going to have me sign, you know, my on the dotted line and give away my worldly possessions and come with them forever, you know. Um, I kind of kept waiting for that or the money, you want me to go to work for you, you know. I kept waiting for that and it wasn't there. So I started to trust you. And you taught me, you taught me about, first of all, you taught me about recovery because you took me through the steps. 
people that had been through the steps took me through the steps. And Bob's right. In, in 75, we were doing a lot of 12 and 12. You know, the big book has made a resurge, and, and it, you know, and I think it's great, and it's not like, you know, it's never been there, and it's not like, what does Bill mean when he put this word in there, and why did he use that word twice, and, you know, I don't know, dig him up, you know. Um, <laughs> but... <laughs> But the beautiful part about it, and, and it's true, is that we have to live it. We have to live it. If you, My sponsor says you can memorize the recipe, but if you don't bake the cake, you'll never taste it. So we have to live it. And so you taught me how to live it. You, you showed me how to get there, and then you taught me how to live it, and you had me take it out into the world. I don't understand, and I live pretty darn comfortably out there because you taught me how to do that. I am a worker among workers. Even though I'm a little odd sometimes, we're talking about it at lunch. I'm very anonymous where I work, and only, you know, I only break my anonymity if I have to, and uh, it's better that way, and I'm going to come home Monday morning, you know, Monday morning and say, how was your weekend? I'm going to say, you know, it was great. How was yours? Because people like to talk about themselves, and I don't tip my hand you know, tell them a joke I heard or something because they look at me like, you're odd, you know? We're the only ones laughing in the Tarantino movies, if you notice, you know what I mean? <laughs> We're the sick group. They go, oh, that's sick. Why are they laughing, you know? Um, our humor's a bit off. So I will ask them how they are, and they'll be fine. I'm not going to tell them, you know, I had all these awakenings. I was with all these wonderful people, and we got to help this person, and the new guy took the book, and we're sobbing, you know? I was like... <laughs> That's fine, Sharon, but can you go open your email and do what, you know, it's necessary over there? Um, I will get off the plane. I will go sit my, in my laundry room, and I will, first of all, clean my cat book because that's, you know, that's what I do, you know. And um, so I hope I'm always in, in a point to, in my life that I'm staying teachable, that I keep my links shiny, and that I am humbled by this. I am humbled by it for a couple of reasons. I am humbled by it because sometimes um, I go, is this my life? <laughs> I'm supposed to be an artist in Malibu with an ocelot, but okay. <laughs> is this my life? And then I go, wow, is this my life? very humbled by it and the connections that I get to make. And I'm looking at one of my girls now who came to me to be lit up, who came to me to be rejuvenate her program because the link is shiny. And I'm already seeing her shining up. And I get the privilege, the privilege, the privilege to be in many of these women's lives. And many people I sponsor, many people I don't sponsor. If you're busy in Alcoholics Anonymous, um, they're giving you more to do. <laughs> you know, and that's just the way it is. And so that's what's why it's so important for me to have in my recovery, my meditation practice, so that I can be more efficient, as it talks about, and not get into, you know, worry, 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 which was one of my big defects of character, being anxious and worried. And so I need to come to you. I need to have a meeting to go to. I need to have... Um, a general service commitment. I need to have a cookie commitment. I need to have a commitment. I need to have commitments at my meetings. I need to be, I need to be there and sit in the seat so that people can know I'm going to be there. People know 
oh, she comes to this meeting, so we're going to go find her. Or, you know, we know that we can ask Sharon about something because we're not affiliated and we have our meeting in a church and we're not paying them much money because we haven't been making much money and sometimes we don't pay them at all because they say just pay us what you can which is great but then they want to make announcements at our meeting they want to come in and um, which is fine but it's not it's not an alcoholics anonymous it's affiliation so we've had to you know we have the group conscious and somebody will go talk to them and it's all been fine and we pay a little bit more rent we pay it to be self-sufficient to be Alcoholics Anonymous, any group meeting in your church and um, meeting anywhere. We pay our own way. Bob talked about that, being self-supporting to my own contributions, learning to be a worker among workers, take it out into the world. Um, and so I love, I love service. I love sponsorship. Um, that's, uh, and Bob says it too. Sometimes things just pop out of their mouths, my mouth, because it's God with skin on. I need God with skin on. Um, my higher power and I have gotten to the point where it's really love. God is love. And um, I'm hoping that I'm always uh, that person that somebody feels they can call at 11 o'clock at night. I'm hoping that, that it's on that person that somebody feels like their daughter um, knows somebody in town who's having trouble. Do you think you could find someone in Orange County to make a 12-step call? Yes, we can. We can do that. We're connected. I know people that are active all over the world. And um, they can count on me and I can count on them. And it's like Clancy talks about pockets of enthusiasm. And... Uh, there's a lady in Kansas that I sponsor who, when I started sponsoring her, she's right behind me. I have, well, 39 years and 11 months and 10 days right now, but who's counting? Um, <laughs> a little more time than Bob. That's <laughs> all, all I need to know. Right? <laughs> and she came to me. She's right behind me. She has like 39 years and three, two months or something. She's right on my tail. Um, so she's my oldest in sobriety, and she came to me a few years ago, and uh, she interviewed me at lunch. I knew she was interviewing me. <laughs> and I went back to Kansas, and uh, we worked some steps, and I talked to her about what was going on in her area, her community, and she said that the central office is is um, selling all kinds of different literature, that it's got, you know, they're selling tchotchkes and all kinds of things, and it's hard to even find a directory in there when you walk into the central office in this town. And I said, well, what do you do about that? And she was kind of quiet. Well, I came back a year later, and that place is shaped up. <laughs> it's got the pamphlets. It's got the directories. There's people that are handling the phone, whether it's from home or from the central office, to take calls. And that little part of the world just lit up because she wanted, she wanted, she was 36 years sober, 35 years sober when I got her, and she was feeling like her her program was flagging, like she was losing like Bob talks about, the light. And so she took a leap of faith, and she uh, she's doing it. She's taking the action, and that little town has got, they've got like picnics, and they're doing more fellowship to bring in the family members more so they can see what's going on. People don't know what Alcoholics Anonymous is anymore. We were talking about that at lunch, too. It's like, 
they don't know what it is. They know it's from the movies, or they know it's from the bad press we're getting, or, um, you know. So it's, it's, I think it's important if we have a chance to help an area become the basics, which is you can call central office and find out where a meeting is. You can call central office and ask if you're, that your friend needs help. <laughs> you get those a lot. My friend is drinking a little. Um, so it's, it's a joy to be involved. It makes me feel like, you know, I mean, please, Bill and Bob had no reason to understand what they were even doing except they were full of the, full of the love of what they were seeing was happening with one and one and one. And they say there were a hundred when they put the book together. Well, there were really only about 40, you know, there were really, maybe the other 60 were drinking that day, but there were in and out a hundred people. And I can't even imagine how their faith was and their, their, their feet were just so dedicated and all the times that it could have gone wrong. All the times when, when Bill was there talking about amends, Bill was ready to leave and at Dr. Bob's house when he was out making those amends because here he didn't come home that night and it's going to be over and I'm going back to New York and that was when he was making those amends and he came home just in time when Bill, I stood at that door in Akron and I thought, wow, Bill almost went out that door and none of us would be here. And it was just such beautiful timing. It had such beautiful timing. Our history has beautiful timing of how things happened in the as my friend Gail calls the silver threads that are connected, that we're here. I really, really, truly believe it's divinely inspired. Our mothers sleep at night because we're here. Somebody took the time, one-to-one. Our uh, children are smiling. Our sisters and brothers can count on us to come to Christmas and bring the mashed potatoes. Because we're sitting... In here sober today, many lives of people that aren't even alcoholics have been changed. Families have gotten unity. There's been, I mean, unity is a beautiful world. It's just, um, it's how can I help you? It becomes service. It how, how can I help you? How can I make your life better? Through all of these steps, the whole point of it is, um, Sure to make us happily and usefully whole because I've got, as Bob said, I've got to stay connected. I've got to have that spiritual fire burning in me. I've got to keep the logs going. And it takes logs because, you know, the light can go out if you don't keep feeding it. And then what? We're going to blow on the embers? But, yeah, sometimes we do. Somebody will come in and go, I have embers. I need help. And we'll all, we'll all rally around and we'll blow on the embers. But it's got to be in here. It's got to be in here. I... And I, if I was in pain or hurting or anything in the past, I'm gone. I'm out of town. You never knew it. You never knew that I just, you know, that something horrible just happened. I'm gone. My friend was shot outside my door in New Orleans. And I'm gone. I leave town. But here I've walked through many, many things. And uh, not just the breakup of my marriage and, you know, like that whole thing um, within the group. And I had to come and... I had to behave. I had to, I had to stop acting like I was, you know, going to do some bad things, and and I was. I was going to drive his car to the beach and um, uh, at low tide, and um, I had a lot. I mean, I was really acting badly. I was thinking badly, and my sponsor said, "You walk through this with dignity and grace." 
not because I get to be happily and usefully whole at the end of this, because you can so you can be an example to others. So examples are powerful here, and that's where I come to see them. This is where we come to get better, and this is where we come to to share. And nobody's ever said in the in a room as big as as this. Somebody has a problem. There's going to be somebody that um, has gone through it, whether I have or not. There's going to be somebody that I can, oh, yeah, that's, that's right. This person went through that. I mean, because we share it here. We share our pain. We share our joys. We share. We share. We share. That's part of our recovery. Um, and part of being of service to me is, um, is to say, how can I help? And that's not just in here. It's out in the world, too. In the world, I don't understand. So, you know, when my husband passed away, which was four years ago, um, I kind of went downhill a little bit, too. <laughs> so, it was, you know, it was the love of my life. He was my soulmate, and um, I got 24 years with him, which was awesome, and we were good partners in Alcoholics Anonymous, and, and um, you know, I got people, I got some beautiful calls from people, I got some amazing cards from people, we had a beautiful memorial um, couldn't have been more perfect it was the first time that sun came out all year on that golf course too where we had the memorial and um, and I had people that stayed with me and took me to meetings my feet I the thing I learned in my my willingness and my first year of walking into a very active group of Alcoholics Anonymous is love those feet smart feet because they will they will walk you through anything your head will not your head is broken put it in the trunk of your car when you go to work because nobody wants to hear what you're thinking you can go put it back in your head when you're done and then you and your mind can have fun on driving to the meeting talking to you each other but <laughs> your feet will get your feet will get you here your feet will keep you so my, my sponsor actually said if you don't have a temperature, you go to the meeting and you buy a thermometer. I don't feel good. Take your temperature. You have a fever, stay home. You don't have a fever? I rarely have a fever. I just show up. And I learned how to walk through everything with you. So when I went through that, and I did go into a dark place, and I, I do remember thinking, whew. I looked over that precipice of relief, and it was really scary because you don't think about anybody else. And it's a scary place to be. And all I did was take a peek, and it felt very, very dark. And I immediately called someone. I immediately told them what I just experienced. And it was just a peek, thank God. And I was able to get some communication with somebody who could help me with some of that grief. And I ended up watching um, an eagle cam. <laughs> she told me, get on and watch this eagle cam where, um, oh, my God, nature's happening there, too. You can't, you know, there's all kinds of things that happen. Um, you know, oh, that bunny's in the nest. Oh, they're feeding the babies. The, I can't watch the bunny, you know. And um, But I learned to love the beauty of these bald eagles. I learned to love how they're, the parents are so committed to them. I learned to love how they share the duties. I learned to love that they get to go out and start their own lives and build their little communities. 
I learned to love God in everything, including sadness, happiness, and um, so through everything in my life, I have um, I have said things like, "I don't know, please help me. How can I help?" Um, how is that person doing? If I'm thinking about somebody, I pick up the phone and call them because that intuition is very, very important. Um, and in my group a few years ago, these people came and they said, Sharon, what happened? I said, what do you mean what happened? They were from Montana and they said, the last time we were here a couple years ago, I told these guys, I said, you know, we're going to go to this group because the last time we were here, everybody wanted your phone number and they would write their number down and keep your coffee pot, your coffee in your left hand because your right hand's going to be shaking all night long and put a piece of paper and a pen in your pocket because you're going to have to write things down and they're going to want to take you places. We came here and nobody shook our hands. And nobody asked us were we new or out of town. I was like, Wow, really? Have we gotten... It's a big meeting where we come together, the tribes, on Wednesday night, and then we have a lot of other little, littler meetings. But have we gotten so like, okay, you know, it's a big city and we're all busy and we've got to come see each other and talk about... Okay, what, do, do, are we doing our business with each other instead of looking for the person sitting alone in the seat? Instead of looking for somebody standing by the wall? And I just made it my point... To have all of my girls, if you're sitting or in a, talking in your little group, is get out. Let's go. Get out. And that was just one person and another person and another person. And I think the atmosphere's changed. I think it's changed. And, and that was, you know, that was a little elder statesman moment for me, not a bleeding deacon moment. And, I, and I'm glad that I paid attention to that. And I'm glad somebody felt they could talk to me about that. So... Um, I'm just going to read this one little thing, and then I'm done. Because it kind of sums it all up. Regardless of worldly success or failure, regardless of pain or joy, regardless of sickness or health, or even of death itself, a new life of endless possibilities can be lived if we are willing to continue our awakening. And that's from As Bill Sees It. So that's what we get if we continue. So thank you. See, look at that, Sharon. You know how to clear a room. <laughs> Good afternoon. I'm Steve. I'm an alcoholic. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's a treat for me to be here with you guys. It's a treat to be with uh, uh, Bob and Sharon, whom I uh, uh, hold in such high regard and, and have such respect for. Uh, I will tell you just anecdotally uh, what Sharon was just sh- uh, talking about there at the end at her home group. A friend of mine last year uh, 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 went to that group. He was going to be out in that area, and I said, go by, but he didn't. It's not like he reached out to anybody. I gave him a couple of numbers, but the people he called couldn't, uh, couldn't connect with him. And he came back, and he was overwhelmed at how, uh, how he was greeted and welcomed and made to feel comfortable, and it was coming from, from so many different directions. So, uh, uh, so that did have an impact, and uh, uh, I'm sure from you and, and many others. Uh, this service unity recovery, you know, uh, we can, uh, what order do you say those in? You know, typically I say them in, 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 uh, in, in that order, but I, I don't know which is the most important. I mean, clearly, I guess, from a personal level, my personal recovery, uh, nothing else happens for me, but 
that personal recovery doesn't happen without the unity and the service. Uh, the recovery is what I, what I come here for, but the, the service and the unity are kind of the uh, delivery system and the protector of the message. Uh, everything we do in Alcoholics Anonymous, everything we do is supposed to be about carrying the message. The money we put in the basket, how that money is spent, uh, the, re- the reason that, that in, our, in our home groups and at our districts and our areas that we argue over money so incessantly when we're just freewheeling with our own, you know. Uh, is, but whether to get the styrofoam cups or the paper cups can be, you know, three, a quarterly debate because there's a four cent difference or something, you know. But, uh, uh, but really it's about are we doing, are we taking those actions that are going to further the message? And uh, I guess this unity thing is, is, is fairly important uh, because I'll, I'll read the Declaration of Unity. And, uh, you know, it just kind of casually says that this we owe to AA's future to place our common welfare first, to keep our fellowship united, for on AA unity depend our lives and the lives of those to come. All we're doing is betting our lives and the lives of everyone to come after us on this unity. And the unity what it is, is to some degree laid out in, uh, uh, you know, the preamble uh, sort of is sort of our mission statement today. It sort of tells us who we are and what we are and what we're not, what we do, what we don't do. And those are things that we need to find a unified agreement on. And how to go about that business is laid out for us in the traditions. How to create an environment where the program of recovery can flourish is the purpose of the traditions. Uh, so when we're in here, so, so you know, I've always thought that, that AA is kind of a funny place. Uh, um, we say in our book around the recovery aspect, our, our book says, and we say to each other a lot, that, uh, uh, that this is, these are suggestions. And, uh, uh, and I believe that they are. It says right in how it works. Following are the steps we took, which are suggested as a program of recovery. And on page 164, we finally admit it took us all the way to page 164 to admit we realize we know only a little. Uh, I think it's good we didn't lead with that. Uh, 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 you know, we wait to the last page to say, I know we've been, we've been throwing a lot of stuff around, but we barely know what we're talking about. <laughs> And it says, our book is meant to be suggestive only. But here's the news. Here's the unification. It's the only suggestion we've got. AA doesn't have a second suggestion. There's not a, you know, there, there are other things to do. AA doesn't say that we have a monopoly on God, certainly. And AA doesn't say we have a monopoly on, on getting people sold. We don't enter into the debate. Uh, in working with others, as a matter of fact, it says if our prospect wants to try some other approach, we encourage him. Not only say, okay, go do it and then come back, we encourage him. I gotta tell you, I went through a long period of time where, where I was the finger wagger, where I was the zealot that Bob talked about, where I, I could see what you clearly could not see. I'm the guy that told you what Bill meant to say. And, and it was earnest. It was self-righteous, but it was earnest and, and it was dangerous. But when that person, you know, I'd say, hey, you'll get drunk. We're going. You're going to get drunk. If somebody decides to do something other than Alcoholics Anonymous, let me tell you what. I hope it works. 
I pray it works because they're betting their life. Now, when it says that, when we encourage someone, it says keeping in mind what we told you about alcoholism. Keep in mind that didn't work well for me. It hadn't worked well for a lot of other people. But for you, I hope it works. But since we've only got one suggestion, these, these, the, the solution in Alcoholics Anonymous is described clearly in the second step of finding a power greater than myself which will restore me to sanity. This spiritual experience that the 12th step suggests I will have had as a result of these steps, this spiritual awakening, that's the end game. That, that's, that's what Alcoholics Anonymous offers me. And, and so, why would I come to AA to argue about AA? If I want to do something else, go do something else. It doesn't even make you wrong. It doesn't, it, there's nothing to argue about. But why come here to argue about AA? Because we're clear on who we are and what we are. No big deal. Uh, it lays out for us a little bit in the, in the preamble, you know. It says, and, and what we are is a fellowship of men and women who share experience, strength, and hope with each other. To solve our common problem and help others achieve sobriety. That's what we are. And, and hey, we don't have dues or fees. We're not going to get confused about that. We don't have opinions on outside issues. We're not allied with any sect, denomination, or political entity. We don't have to bring that in. So let's don't do that. That's how we stay unified, by not doing those things that we don't do. We're clear that we don't do them, so let's just don't do them. Doesn't mean when I go home, we can go out in the parking lot and have a very heated political debate. But there's no need to do that in here because we arrive, as Bob said, under the flag of that common problem, not these very... we got lots of other unrelated problems. I've talked to a few of you. You are problem people. <laughs> but we show up here under this com- with this common problem, and we are focused, as Bob said, on that common solution. And on that solution... At a minimum, on that solution, we should be able to act on brotherly and harmonious action. We should be able to be together in this deal. Let's all row this boat. When we get to shore, then we can go our separate ways. The thing is, in AA, we don't ever get to shore. We just keep rowing. We just keep rowing in a common direction. So that unity is, is pretty critical. And, uh, and I don't want to be the guy that is, that is uh, uh, challenging that in my group or or I will tell you that, that I don't think the men that I sponsor could tell you uh, uh, if I have a political affiliation. I don't think they could tell you what my views are. And uh, it's just because I have uh, chosen not to, you know, that, that's just not what's as important to me as what I do here at AA. On Facebook, it was interesting during the elections a few years ago, and I see it now. Some people I know, some people, and, and look, we have a right to put in our, we have a right to be passionate personally about anything we want to be passionate about. But I began to see these very passionate and sometimes vitriolic views on either side of any issue begin to be thrown about. And, and it just struck me as I'm looking at it that, you know what, I wonder if that's going to, if that's going to minimize the voice that this person has, if it's going to cut off the reach that this person has. And, and, and the truth is, I, for me, I've decided that I would much rather be, be an effective, uh, hopefully, uh, unifying voice in Alcoholics Anonymous uh, than sit in my recliner and bitch about politics. You know, it'd be different if I'm if I'm if I'm becoming an activist. I'm not an activist. I'm just a complainer. <laughs> Yet it seems to not be unifying. Uh, 
the service, you know, and, and the unity, the other place that unity is important, I think, and, and you know, we've got the, uh, 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 the, the traditions, as I said, sort of build a framework around uh, how we conduct ourselves and relate ourselves to the outside world and how we conduct ourselves in Alcoholics Anonymous. And it does protect, my sponsor told me that uh, uh, the traditions were, to, were put in place to protect Alcoholics Anonymous from my very best intentions. He says, because Steve, one day you're going to get a good idea. And uh, that's when we go, whoa, let's, let's consult these traditions and sort of see what that looks like. And uh, uh, so it's, you know, that's that's been critical to me. And, and and to, to recognize that it's not for me, when I went through my Pentecostal stage, in addition to being able, uh, perhaps being in fact, I promise you, I, I was in Richmond, Virginia, and I was go to my, my home group there, the Brandermill group, and I was so frustrated with this group because uh, uh, they would not, uh, uh, they elected a GSR, you know, but, but he didn't attend any of the uh, district meetings, but he would not relinquish his uh, role because he liked the title. And, uh, 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 and, and I'm whining, and, 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 I, and I'm, you know, I'm pulling out my, my book in every meeting, and a guy followed me out one night to my car. He said, Steve, do you realize you quoted the big book, the 12 and 12, and the 24-hour-a-day book? He said, do you have any personal experience? And uh, uh, I thought, well, so he's encouraging me to get past the intellectual part of this and begin to bring me to the process. But I'm walking up to that meeting one night, uh, uh, and all the all the old timers over there, you know, that were 20 plus years and smoking cigarettes, and you got to go across this little pedestrian bridge to get to the meeting. And as I'm walking there, uh, uh, one of them yells out to me, a guy named Mike H. And Mike's still a good friend of mine today. But he said, uh, he said, hey, foremost, come on over here. And I was looking, he's foremost, come here, come here. And did it about three times. I'm here, yeah, come here, come here. And I'm walking across the bridge. I said, what's this foremost crap? He said, well, you're the foremost expert on everything Alcoholics Anonymous, huh? And uh, so I'm trying not to be the foremost expert anymore. I am no longer the tradition sheriff. Now, I've got some personal responsibility. And, and we were kind of talking about it at lunch. Where does, where, where does that... Where is that line where I need to, to, to give voice to when I think I see something or I'm watching something? But, but here's what I've discovered about me. The, the first thing I need to do is make sure that I'm the guy that's practicing these traditions, that I'm taking personal responsibility, that through a demonstration uh, rather than uh, a pronunciation to someone else about how they need to do it, and, uh, and it becomes that, that can be kind of attractive. Uh, it's when I moved to service when I, when I moved to Richmond, Virginia my sponsor over there kind of put me in service I was there, I'm not sure this is the way to do things but my second meeting after I asked him to be my sponsor he uh, volunteered me, the intergroup rep had left and in the meeting they said we need an intergroup rep, uh, who will do that and, and Joe said Steve will do that and, and, and I was clear, I didn't know what an intergroup rep was and six months later I didn't know what an intergroup rep was <laughs> And uh, 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 so, so I'm not sure that I was that I was providing the service. And you know what? We I think we have a responsibility to. Uh, I think Joe did the right thing by by volunteering me to be the intergroup rep. He should have followed that up with some intergroup rep lessons. You know. Uh, uh, 
or given me some direction, and, and he probably did, and I probably didn't hear it, you know. But but we don't uh, uh, we don't throw those positions in our group around. You know, we say, "Oh, service will keep you sober," so you throw a tag on somebody, and then don't help that person understand what comes with this. We're encouraged to take that seriously, you know, not not so seriously that we get caught up in it. But gosh, that let's let's do what it suggests we do. And uh, uh, but I did that for a while, and then I held a number of service positions, and and I began to be. I don't know that I was effective, but I was active in them, and and uh, uh, I was uh, 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 corrections uh, uh, chair. I was uh, cooperation with professional community uh, for my group. I was public information. That public information is what I think Bob was talking about. That that our and that's not, by the way, uh, uh, you know public relations, but we want to let the public know where we are, who we are, and what we do, and what we don't do. That's what that public information is is about, and try to do that. So why wouldn't we want someone to be able to do that that can be effective in that role? Um, Finally, my sponsor suggested, he said, Steve, they're going to have uh, uh, elections for DCM uh, at the next meeting. He says, I want want you to go. And I said, you know, Joe, I don't want to be a DCM. He said, what makes you think you're going to be elected DCM? I just asked you to go to the meeting. And uh, uh, But I knew the fix was in. And uh, uh, so I go and I get nominated. And uh, uh, But there were two other nominations. Who, uh, and uh, uh, pretty soon we, we have the, the election at the next meeting. And, uh, and I really don't want to be DCM. And we have the first round of, of voting, and there's not a quorum, but I'm third in a three-man race. And we go around the second time, and I'm third and getting thirder all the time. And, uh, uh, and pleased about that, frankly. And, but they didn't ever get a quorum till ultimately they go to the hat, and I knew I'm screwed. And uh, uh, they drew my name out of the hat. And I become the most incompetent DCM in uh, uh, District 29 history. But I tell you what, two things happened. Number one, I went home and I told my wife Connie. I said, "This is this is my worst nightmare." I said, "They had an election, and I was third. I mean, this was not a mandate of the people, you know. Uh, I lost the popularity contest by a wide margin. Yet I got to do all the work. I'm the guy that wants to win the vote and not do the work." But I've become this DCM, and, and uh, people say often, uh, 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 cynically and sarcastically, that uh, service will treat you love and tolerance. And uh, service has taught me love and tolerance. But not in the way that I think those people were saying it, because you're going to have to have love and tolerance to deal with the uh, uh, personalities and the people. What, what happened for me was that, that people people helped me. I didn't know what I was doing, and people were okay with me not knowing what I was doing, and they helped me do that, which I could not do on my own. And people were loving and tolerant towards me in that role. So I'm very grateful for the way that I was treated and accepted and nurtured along uh, uh, in that process. Uh, at service, uh, uh, you know, is it service to our, to our area, service to our district, service to our intergroup, service to our group? service to each other. What does that service look like? Well, it crosses all of those boards. And the 12 and 12 talks about it, right? It says it's service when we share in a meeting. And it is. But I would suggest to you if that's the only service that you're engaged in, it's insufficient. 
I'll suggest I've got a greater responsibility. The other thing I learned in talking to Joe, because I will look at service, and, and, and the first thing I consider is what do I like to do? What's on the menu here that I like to do? And it's an okay question, because the questions kind of come, what do I like to do? Uh, what am I willing to do? What can I do? But maybe the most important question and the one that's least asked by me is what needs to be done. And see, if I start with what needs to be done and reach out there. I drove over to, uh, uh, gosh, about 15 years ago now. I, I, was, uh, 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 I, was, I was hit one of those spots in AA. Maybe you've hit it. Uh, uh, in fact, if you're in this room, we're all kind of preaching to the choir, so you're as prone to this self-importance as I am, I suspect. And uh, all of a sudden, I'm looking around, and I'm thinking, is anybody else in AA doing anything? Which is an embarrassment when I really look around because I, what I was doing was so paltry. And I'm getting to the point where I didn't want to answer the phone. I didn't, I didn't want to answer the phone when the sponsees were called. And I'm kind of going, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to my, what was my corrections uh, uh, commitment at the time, but, but I'm going grudgingly, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm pouting and whining all the way over there. And everything I'm doing has become burdensome and challenging. And the next thing you know, I get in my car and, and I drove, uh, 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 well, I drove to, to Pinehurst. I think that's about 600 miles from Nashville. I called Tom I over there and I told Tom, I said, Tom, a friend of mine has invited me to come play golf with him. I didn't know Tom very well. I said, a friend of mine's invited me to come play golf with him over there. And uh, 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 could you and I spend a little time together and maybe grab a bite to eat when I come? And he said, sure, Steve. He says, when are you coming? And I said, well, let me call my friend and see if he'll let me come play golf with him. And, and because I had not yet really made that call. Uh, uh, uh. So I drove that 600 miles just to pose that question to Tom. I said, man, I said, Tom, how do you do it? I said, you do more than anybody I know in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I want you to do it. And, and you seem to be, be filled up by it and energized. And I said, everything I'm doing is just sucking the life out of me. And, uh, and I was waiting for what I thought would be, you know, this was the, the Yoda moment. This was going to be that, that uh, uh, I've gone to the mountain. And, uh, and he said, oh, Steve, he said, you know, and he, while he was cutting his meat, he barely even looked up, you know. And uh, uh, he said, Steve, I just figure if there's something that needs to be done and I can do it, why wouldn't I? And uh, I kept waiting for more, but he gave me nothing else. <laughs> and I got in my car to drive back home. And I was just about 100 miles out of Nashville when it, when it hit me, the source of, of my current problem at that time was a loss of gratitude. And, and the gratitude, that gratitude looks differently on us, and it has different, you know, there's the gratitude as an action, and there's gratitude as a feeling. And, and I, hope, I always tell people, I hope you can't tell how grateful I am by what I'm doing, because I hope I look grateful even when I'm not feeling grateful, because my actions would be the same. But the difference in the experience that I have is that when I feel grateful, when I'm recognizing that gratitude, then the service, the things we do don't feel burdensome. They don't feel like a burden. But when I'm, when I'm getting self-conscious and, and when it becomes all about me again, then, it, then everything becomes heavy and it becomes burdensome. Uh, service, unity, recovery, they're like our steps, they're like our traditions. They are not standalone. 
just like that 11th step suggests that taken separately, prayer, meditation, and self-examination have their benefits. Uh, and I would suggest that taken separately, service, unity, recovery have their benefits. But just like that prayer, meditation, and self-examination, when logically interwoven, they form an unshakable foundation for living. And it is that unity and that service that make Alcoholics Anonymous unshakable from the inside. It says we do not have to worry about crumbling from the outside. The stuff I read in the paper, you know, I went when I read it, but, but it doesn't trouble me what I read in the paper. What troubles me is what I, is what I hear in our rooms. What troubles me is when I'm the source of that. Some, inadvertently, I'm that guy sometimes. And I'm driving home, I go, what the hell was that all about? That had nothing to do with AA. So am I willing to devote enough time to really understand what Alcoholics Anonymous is, to understand in the traditions how I'm encouraged to relate myself to the group and and outside and how our groups relate to each other? And am I concerned enough to look for the directions in Alcoholics Anonymous where the integrity of the message is protected so what I'm doing is AA? Because I love Alcoholics Anonymous. And I'm not afraid what other people say about AA. I'm afraid about how I conduct myself in AA. I want to be a unifying factor, not a dividing factor. I want to be a person that's in recovery, you know, not in, you know, not just in, in self. And I want to be a person that is able to be of some use to you rather than constantly worrying about me. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.